It's Andra Zaharia. I'm Dave Smythe. And this is the Cyber Empathy Podcast. By taking an empathetic approach to technology, we can create space for positive change and healthy relationships to grow. We share stories of kindness, curiosity, and connection that show how we can all shape online privacy and security. Thanks for being here. So perfect privacy versus good enough privacy. We chose quite a vast topic for ourselves today, haven't we? (laughs) Yeah, I think so. It's easy to be quite fundamentalist about this stuff. Yeah, it's quite an overwhelming topic. Oh, well, we hope to be able to break it down into something that you who are listening can actually use and, and feel like is manageable and doable. Because yes, just as you mentioned, there is this false perception that it has to be all or nothing, which is actually not true in the real life of people on the internet. Yeah. So where do you want to start? I actually wanted to share our personal perspective on what privacy is, because I think that this term gets thrown around a lot. And while specialists kind of have their own definitions for it, most people I don't think ever thought about what is privacy actually for me, you know, what it looks like for a regular person who doesn't work in tech, who doesn't work in cybersecurity, and is just trying to, you know, go about their business. For me, for example, privacy as a core topic is the ability to do something that others don't have access to. And this is for whatever reason it may be. It's just the ability to have that space that is only yours, to have that space to think, to live, to, you know, have conversations with others, to keep for yourself. It's just a defined space that's only yours or shared with only people that you want to give access to. And to me, this concept kind of extends and applies to everything, whether it's life on the internet or outside of it or a combination of both. It's still the same thing. And I believe that privacy is one of those things that we take for granted but we don't feel how important it is until it's taken away from us or until we give it up entirely and feel exposed and and have our secrets because everyone has them and it's okay and natural and it's not it doesn't involve dishonesty or lack of transparency so when these secrets get out that's when you feel that whoa my privacy is actually extremely important to me i'd say that that is it for me I gave a lot of thought about this. I've written about it extensively. And to me personally, that's what it is. It's that almost sacred space, if it's not too big of a word, that we need and deserve to stay sane and healthy and to have healthy relationships with others and to just exist as humans. I don't think that we can do without it, honestly. Yeah, that is an amazing summary of it, actually. I don't think it's possible to put it much better than that. In Permanent Record, there's an amazing quote from Edward Snowden. He, he writes something, something like, ultimately saying you don't care about privacy because you have nothing to hide. It's like saying you don't care about freedom of speech because you have nothing to say. To, to me, that sums the whole thing up really, really neatly. Because like you say, it's, it's, it's something we don't realize until it's taken away from us. And it's, I guess it ultimately comes down to like having a choice about what people know about you and in the world we live in at the moment those choices have been made on our behalf a lot or or like it's not completely open to us the choices that we're making or or the implications of of what happens when we press one box over pressing another box or when we sign up to a service or 
yeah, so it's a um, big old topic. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is. And I think that that's why people tend to kind of shy away from it or just, you know, place it in a box somewhere. I'm not a specialist. I can't do this. It's too much because once you start getting into it, it is completely overwhelming. Sometimes it's overwhelming even for us. And we read about it all the time and we actively do things towards this and, and try to share this with others. So I truly believe that in order for us to understand what good privacy is and what you know, what good enough privacy is for each of us. We need to understand what we're trying to protect and why we care about it enough that it determines us to actually act in this direction. So, for example, just to to share my personal experience, I have lived and worked on the internet for a long time. And the internet obviously didn't look like this when, when I first started just sharing information about myself and writing on the internet and expanding my identity across all of these places. And there was an inflection point. It was actually around the time of the Snowden revelations when I realized that my digital footprint, so the total volume of information and details about me, was way more extensive than I realized. And just because you can see it, it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist because the people who know how to search for it and how to compile your profile, are uh, they have very thorough methods of doing so. When I realized this, I knew that, that I had to find a balance between continuing to do work, which for me as a marketer, as a communication specialist, means putting myself out there, being visible, and trying to protect my private life in some shape or form. I was, for example, quite reluctant at posting pictures of my family and things like that and posting pictures of my partner at the time. I kind of felt instinctively somewhere that it wasn't for me. Uh, even when I used to be on Facebook and Instagram, that was a chore for me. It was a hassle. It didn't represent me. I'm, I'm not cut out for that. So when I made the decision a couple of years back, in 2018 to delete Facebook completely, delete Instagram. That was such a relief. <laughs> it was such a relief because I I felt that it was aligned with what I believed in. It was aligned with my need to, yes, uh, keep a lot of things private, but at the same time be visible and generous and try to contribute the best I can to the communities that I'm part of, which means sharing information about how I think and what I do why I do it, which we're doing right now. So I'm totally comfortable with this, but I still need that space where I can, you know, have my private life and, and not have everything about me exposed. So I was wondering, what did it look like for you? When did this need to focus on privacy started to become a real, you know, area of concern for you? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's, for me, it's been something that's been like increasingly present in my mind over the past few years it's been becoming more and more of a thing that I think about um I think it, it was similar for me like the the Snowden stuff there was the Cambridge Analytica stuff even though I didn't really act on them at the time at that time I was I was I think I was still a musician around those sorts of times so I was in a similar position of having to be like online and present and promoting myself and trying to like put myself out there and stuff and all for nothing in the end but um I think it's one of these things where when you start to take steps on that path, actually, it, and you start to think about it, you start to think about it every time you interact with 
something or like you start thinking what are the like implications of that so that, that's been my experience at least so it's just become like an increasing part of it and something something i'm becoming aware of as well is that trying to not become obsessed with it because and this sort of ties into the topic of, of good enough versus perfect because i guess like security like you can't have perfect privacy and exist in a way unless you're going to go like completely off the grid just like in security if you want multiple people to like work on something or like if you have a website it can't be perfectly secure you you can take all the best steps and have all the best advice but you could still be still be hacked and 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 i guess the same thing's true for for privacy so it's it's working out a balance trying not to be too concerned about it but also taking steps to protect your privacy i saw a tweet from shoshana wodinsky who is a reporter who has done loads of stuff on like facebook and like ad tech and and digging into the weeds on some pretty complex stuff and, and really amazing and human reporting on it and she she tweeted something like the you know she's read all of the privacy policies of facebook she knows what they tell you they do and also she knows what they don't tell you they do and she said the more she learns about it the more she's she thinks like well what can i do about it you know i, I i've got to i've got to take part in society somehow and for some people, that might mean that they have to have a Facebook account because their kids' school meetings happen on there, or you know, the, the, mm-hmm. the, there are all the there are all these like implications. And I guess where I'm going with that is that it depends on your it depends on the context. Like ev- everybody's situation is going to be difficult. So one person's good enough security wouldn't be wouldn't necessarily be the same for somebody else. And there are no perfect decisions. And I think that this is. To me, specifically, working in cybersecurity and obviously being preoccupied by privacy as well, though they are separate, but they work together, it has been a maturing process. I think that realizing that there is nuance, first of all, being able to you know work with nuance and understand nuance and make it work for you, I think that that's a step in a maturity, an important milestone in your adulthood, I guess. And this applies to everything. And just like you said, doing something rather than nothing is extremely important because the compound effect is huge, both for our lives as individuals and as you know, and participants in an ecosystem. That is a very powerful reminder. And thank God for Shoshana, because she's probably one of the th- only people in the world who has actually read these things. And thank God for people like her, who do the research and who help us educate ourselves and who translate all of these super complex, very (laughs) convoluted implications in ways that we can actually understand. And they also fight on our behalf and what we can do to support them and and keep them, you know, on this path of challenging tech, big or small, or governments and so on, is to show them that we support them, to do the little bit that we can and to advocate for more transparency and for more flexibility and more ownership over data. Because at the end of the day, I think that privacy is a matter of democracy at the end of the day. It is a matter of keeping systems in the power of the people, which I think that we can all resonate with in one way, you know, in one shape or form, no matter where we're from, whether I'm, you know, coming from Romania, which is an ex-communist country who still 
reeks of communism in many ways, unfortunately. Whether we're talking about the U.S., no matter where we are in the world right now, privacy is a big issue because our freedom and future kind of depends on it on a large scale. For sure. And and I guess as well, like the internet has really thrust this to the fore because before the internet, privacy was a concern. But if somebody wanted to like learn about somebody, they would have to stand outside the house or like go and bug their house or do anything along those sorts of lines of being like physically present. Or, the, you know, they might tap their phone or, or, or something like that. Obviously, this is like spying rather than whatever everyday people would do to learn about people or, or they'd have to like have records like companies might have like records of their customers or something but actually the sort of privacy concerns there are reduced because there might only be like one copy of that or it's in a it's only stored in a physical location everything the internet has given us has introduced like a whole world of privacy issues that it's hard for us to grasp, like whether you're thinking about opting into your medical records being stored online so they can be more quickly shared between like a, a doctor and a hospital or between doctors if you move doctors or something like that. Or whether you're thinking about tech monopolies that are like pushing the boundaries of, of, of what they can get away with to monetize our data and the societal harms that that causes. The sort of pace of the technology is has thrust all of these concerns on us in a way that I think probably no one could have predicted and no one well some people definitely predicted this but <laughs> but everyday people wouldn't think about and it's a lot to consider and to take on and to be a responsibility for everyday folks for whom this isn't their you know it's not their job to be like a, an expert on privacy it's hard and and I think that's a really good case for good enough privacy because people need to take like small steps that they can actually make part of their like daily lives and build on those in like small incremental ways where the immediate impact may be negligible but actually the combined impact of making those changes over a period of time is significant absolutely and to your point, I just wanted to kind of introduce here two of the principles of techno-realism, which hopefully we'll cover in a dedicated episode, because I find them fascinating. And and I want to get back to this idea of what good enough actually is, cause, so we can share some very practical advice of what it really looks like. So two of the principles of techno-realism, which is kind of self-explanatory, so it's being very practical and obviously realistic about what technology is and what it can and cannot do. The first principle is that technologies are, are not neutral because they say the uh, ones who created the kind of work group who created this principle say that in truth, technologies come loaded with both intended and unintended social, political, and economical leanings. And every tool provides its users with a particular manner of seeing the world and specific ways of interacting with others. So based on this, privacy will always be personal. It will be tailored to your use case, to your context. A business owner doesn't have, an internet business owner doesn't have the same privacy needs as a person who uses the internet in a way that's limited to Facebook and a few emails here and there, some newsletter and, you know, reading some online stuff and that's kind of it. And possibly, you know, using chat apps. 
And the second principles, which I think that is worth reminding here, is that the internet is revolutionary, but not utopian. <laughs> I think that we've always, we kind of, us who were one of the last generations before the internet, tend to idealize the internet as we knew it in the beginning, decentralized, a place of wonders, a place of meeting people you never you know, thought you'd ever meet in this lifetime. And we tend to forget that for all the opportunities that it provides, the internet is a reflection of society. So it's a mirror of our behavior, of how our society evolves. And we can see that so plainly today with power being just concentrated in a few places on earth, just like it happens in politics and, and other things and cultural domination and so many other things. So I think that it's it's important to remember these things so that we may be kinder to ourselves, first of all, because there's no way, no matter how well prepared you are, that anyone can handle this perfectly. And then to find and, you know, throughout all of these options, the ones that fit us individually. Yeah, for sure. That's an amazing way to put it, that it's not a utopia. I was wondering if we might give listeners something very practical. So what do these steps look like? And you have so much experience with this because you've de-Googled yourself, you've done many of these things. And I wanted to know, what were the easiest things for you to do, which you think have made the biggest impact that you would totally recommend people like go for these things first? Yeah, I, th I think the the big one that everybody who doesn't do it already should do is get a password manager. It's such a simple thing. Like, obviously, you have to learn how to use the password manager. But that was actually the first thing that I did many years ago before I was really concerned about privacy or anything. Yeah, it was just an it was just an amazing thing. Like not having to. I don't even think about having to remember passwords. But I know, there are plenty of people I know in real life who never use a password manager. And it's wild that their credentials are probably just, for, for almost everything they sign into, are probably just on some database somewhere for like one, you know, in one exposed hack. And it's so easy to go to, have I been pawned and just put in your email and then realize like, whoa, <laughs> yeah, this exactly. was not what I expected. Where's my data? Who has it? Who are these data brokers? And what business do they have to fumble around with my data on the internet? Yeah, and it's and it's such an easy thing to do as well because you like for most of them you there's like a browser extension or like a phone app, and then you probably need to change like five or ten passwords immediately, which might take 10, 15 minutes, maybe. Start with the important ones like your email, your social media accounts. And then you can just do it every time you log into a service after that. Just make a, make a point to like change that one password from, from your like default one that you've been using for everything. That's an amazing thing. It's, it's such, a small, such a small step. Yep. And plus, it's a tool for product, a huge productivity boost. You don't have to. You, it's just, it becomes so much easier to not have to um, you know, retrieve passwords and go through those processes who are such a pain. And uh, yes, I totally recommend it. And I think I just wanted to highlight that the big benefit for your privacy when you use a password manager is that your credentials, so your you know, username and password combination that you most likely reuse, we've all been there, we've all done that, there's nothing to be ashamed of, 
will not be able to be reused to, you know, break into your accounts and extract more data and then, you know, send infected links to your friends and family and your entire list of contacts. And just you'll be able to stop the snowball from rolling down the hill and taking everything with it. And that is one of the key things that you can do because passwords are going to go away, but it's going to take a long time time, <laughs> probably longer than we want. So until then, we still need to make sure that our stuff is safe. And I, for one, know that they're one of the tools, top three tools that I recommend anyone uses. What's something else that you did that you felt had a big impact on your privacy? Something that you you know noticed right away that it reduced your exposure and your you know that feeling of vulnerability that comes with it? I think an, an easy one, like thinking of like de-Googling, for instance, Two things that they're not really related, but an easy one was changing browser. So not using, I used to use Google Chrome. I think the EFF, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, I think they actually class Google Chrome as malware or spyware. Uh, one one of them, <laughs> that might be um, a misaccreditation, but um, yeah, I, I, I seem to remember they list it as something like that. So there's so many alternatives, whether that's using like Safari or Firefox or even a Chromium based browser. I would imagine that using Microsoft Edge, which is for all intents and purposes is, is Chrome, but without the Google bits, that would be a big step. And there's Brave as well. Could you share why why you say this? I mean, why is Google Chrome specifically so, so bad for our privacy? You think that a, a highlight would help listeners, you know, really understand why it is so toxic? <laughs> well, instead of me fumbling my way through a half half-remembered explanation, there are issues with, with Google in a wider context. But James Malarkey, who uh, is a privacy advocate, he runs the We Don't Stream podcast. He has a website, uh, nodetochrome.org, that talks through some of the issues, some of the privacy issues, um, and some of the um, alternatives. It's just a good thing to de-chrome oneself. And the other thing that was that's kind of related to that is to not use Google search as well. So if you can, you can switch to something like uh, DuckDuckGo, also um, Ecosia, which is like a, an eco browser. It's true, particularly with Ecosia, the search results may not, they're not going to be exactly the same. With DuckDuckGo, the search results have improved greatly over the, over like the past few years. Um, I think I saw that uh, this last year in 2021, they had something like a 46, 47% increase in their in like searches on their site in, in one year, which is an amazing thing. But even if you switch to those, and if you find that there's like a topic that you just can't use, then you know you can always use something like Google or Start Page, which uses Google's results and is more privacy focused. Those would be a few small things that you can, that you, you, that you can do that improve things. And if you can delete your Facebook account. <laughs> oh, yes. I, I wanted to advocate for this. So for the third thing on the list, after password management and, and trying to limit your usage and reliance on Google would be, do you need to be on all of the social media platforms? I think that it's not just besides the fact that it takes a huge toll on our mental health. And I felt this firsthand. I mean, Instagram was completely toxic for me. Facebook had become just a a burden and a huge, massive burden and a source of constant anxiety. 
it is the simple fact that we express ourselves in so many ways over the years. I mean, if you just go and download all of the stuff that Facebook has on you, and it's not everything. I mean, they give you a lot, but it's not going to be everything. You're going to be amazed at the tons of pictures that we've posted over the years and all sorts of things from your private life, which you probably didn't want on the internet or, you know, looking back, you probably, you know, wanted to keep some of those for yourself. I think that we regret less when it comes to sharing stuff on the internet, that we regret less uh, the stuff we didn't post than the stuff we did post. I truly believe that, you know, I still use some social media. I still use Twitter. I still use LinkedIn. Like we mentioned at the beginning of this conversation, you can't, you know, completely extricate yourself, completely step out of society as it works. And I don't want to do that. I I love the people that I was able to connect with, (laughs) you included. We wouldn't be having this conversation if it weren't because of Twitter. But that doesn't mean that we have to be everywhere. That doesn't mean that we have to overuse and, and consume up to the point that it makes us sick emotionally, mentally, and then physically as well, because those are real consequences that it has on our biology and our bodies. Because I, I truly believe that privacy is one of those values that's kind of built into us from the beginning. It is an instinct. And the more we go against this instinct, the more it gets eroded. And that lack of internal alignment really hurts us. It creates that thing that's called cognitive dissonance that creates internal conflict. Then that sucks the energy out of our days and it damages our focus, which we're going to talk about soon, (laughs) and a lot of other things. So if you can limit your social media use, if you can deactivate your accounts for a while and see how that goes for you, you might be surprised at not just, you know, taking a huge step to improve your privacy, but also taking a huge step to simplifying your life. And I think that we could all use more of that. Hard to disagree with that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that we have a few things that we disagree on. We might have to dedicate an episode to finding them and debating them. (laughs) That (laughs) would be probably interesting to see. Any closing thoughts that we want to, you know, round us up with? Something that... Something around your experience with privacy, and of course, there are, so, you know, if you're listening to this episode, go to Dave's website and and check out all of the things that he's written about this, tons of resources. We're going to, you know, add all of the things that we mentioned and talked about in the show notes so you can actually use them and, and start picking apart at this topic as little or as much as you want to. That's up to you, of course. So before we sign off for this episode, Dave, what is something that you truly believe about privacy? Why do you think that it is so important to us? And maybe you can share a thought around why you chose this as as a core principle for your business at the end of the day, because that's a pretty big decision. Just going back to what we talked about earlier, really, like I I feel like it, in a way, it kind of happened to me that I became interested in this, like through things I was reading about. And And then it sort of made sense for it to be something that we created a business around um thinking about like like a a last takeaway of of, of this is is like these are such big topics or there are so many steps you could take with this like you could send like subject access requests to 
every company that you've ever interacted with if you wanted to go to an extreme and then send them erasure requests or there's so many things you could do if you if you wanted to but it's it's not practical to do that and there are lots of reasons why you may you probably don't want to do that like you don't have time <laughs> for instance <laughs> and so I, I think it's just really important to take small steps to think about how much what sort of steps you can reasonably take and like build them into a routine like the password manager i guess really that is that's more about like your security but there are privacy things there as well but that's that's an example of something that's like a really small step you can take that you can build on that when you first do it if you change five or ten passwords that is a very small number even though you're probably protecting like the most important things like your email accounts but then over the course of one year and then over the course of two years, three years, four, five, after a couple of years, you probably have changed your default password on almost every service that you actually use. And anywhere that, that has your uh, previous password and username, even if they're hacked, you're not using those for your for your like big stuff anyway. So yeah, I think I think that's just a really good example of like how the small the compound effect of these small changes. Um, just be easy on yourself because you can make small changes that have a big, big, big effect. Yep. I, I totally agree with that. It's just like, you know, eating an apple a day for your health. It's just like, it, it's, it may not be that big of a deal, but at the end of a year, you'll have eaten hundreds of apples and you'll be so much better, you know, suited. Uh, uh, you'll be in a much better place regarding your uh, fiber intake. I wonder what it kind of to build on the same thing. And remind you that privacy is kind of tied to a complex and constantly changing system and that doing the best you can do right now with the information that you have is just best effort no one has all the answers these are not definitive you know solutions this is a living living <laughs> not breathing yet ecosystem but hey who knows and just you know prioritizing this when you can and as much as you can will take you so much further than you anticipated. And it might just make you, you know, a bit more mature and a bit wiser about, you know, how the internet works and how all of these systems work together to influence society, to shape it, to ensure that we're comfortable and that we have stuff that we need and a lot of stuff that we don't, but sometimes like, and that's okay too. So just finding that that balance and and finding what works for you, I feel is just the most important thing here. And I've seen people make great strides with this approach. I've seen them a lot, you know, happier and more in control and more clear minded. And if we can, you know, help at least one person do that for themselves, then this episode and this conversation will have done its job. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. For show notes and links from this episode, head to cyberempathy.org where you can also find resources to guide you to a healthier, more comfortable relationship with technology. And if you have a question for us, or if there's a topic you'd like us to discuss, we'd love to hear from you too.